0: Come, uh, have you finished that list you know with my good points and my bad points? Uh, well, well, not yet. I just made a few notes uh, and, oh, uh, oh, oh a few notes yes, oh let's see come uh, uh, you're kidding you don't really think that i oh no, I'm not that come oh, look at this look. Yeah, but- I don 't believe this okay, sometimes I may be a little oh come, not this. Oh. Uh, 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 Fozzie, I think I better explain. No, no, no. no. Come in. It's okay. It's okay. I can understand how you might think that I have these bad points. Oh, well, actually, that list is your good point.
1: Hi-ho, and welcome once again to a feat of lunatic daring, the most sensational, inspirational, celebrational... Muppetational podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. My name is Chad. I'm here with my co-host Nick Jackson.
2: Nick, another season, another season down. This sort of crept up on me. I was expecting to have, like we still have an episode to record in a week, but I was expecting to just like have another couple of episodes to throw down. But this is also the end of my disc collection. Yes, this
1: is the end of the official release DVDs. So we'll have to find another way for you to watch the Muppet Show. Uh, Luckily, it's luckily it's streaming now. We were going to have to find more creative ways to uh, watch those episodes if Disney Plus hadn't uh, decided to make our dreams come true. Good ones tonight. Yeah, I liked both of these a lot. There is a book, came out in 1980, I think, called Robin Hood, A High Spirited Tale of Adventure. It's written by Jocelyn Stevenson with uh, illustrations by Bruce McNally. And it is the Muppets Robin Hood book. And my dad used to read this book to me and it's beautifully illustrated. And a lot of the characters match up to the episode we're going to talk about tonight but it's beautifully illustrated. And my dad used to read this book to me over and over and over again when I was little. This is one of my favorite books. I have it right here. And so this episode, the Lynn Lynn Redgrave episode always reminds me of this book and my dad. Before we get started talking about Robin Hood and other assorted Muppet hijinks, um, this is a feed of Lunatic Daring War podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. Please check us out on social media at Lunatic Daring on instagram facebook and twitter lunaticdaring.com where you can find our watch list all of our episodes and our bibliography also please uh rate us and review us on your podcast app of choice that would help out quite a bit just to get a few more reviews in there just knock us up the charts just a little bit nick you ready to get started let's get started
0: it's the muppet show with our very special guest star lynn redgrave
1: lynn redgrave gave me a like julie andrews vibe tonight
2: I can see that. I, I have my theories, but I'll save them. Maybe it was the hair. The hair, the, the general demeanor. There's um, the, ex- the accent. The accent. I, I mean, knowing more about Julie Andrews' background, but it, both of them give the impression of having been born with a silver spoon. Lynn
1: Rachel Redgrave was born Mar- March 8th, 1943, so in the middle of the war, in London to actors Rachel Kempson and Sir Michael Redgrave. Were you on point there? Is that what you were saying? Depends on how the story is about to go, but (laughs) yeah. She had a brother and a sister. Uh, She comes from an acting family. Her grandfather, Roy Redgrave, was a silent film star. Her father, Michael, was an Oscar winner. And her sister, Vanessa, would go on to be a successful actor, as as would her nieces, Jolie, and Natasha Richardson. It's safe to call the Red Graves, Red Graves slash Richardsons, a Hollywood dynasty. Does that qualify as a silver spoon? I would assume so, yeah. Lynn trained at the Central School for Speech and Drama in London and made her professional acting debut in 62 in a production of A Midsummer's Night's Dream. She did other plays on the West End, did some Noel Coward, did a production of Much Ado About Nothing, And then she started making movies. She was in Tom Jones in 63. Her mom was in that too with her. Uh, She was in The Girl with the Green Eyes in 64. She played the title role in Georgie Girl in 66 with her mother again and was nominated for an Oscar for that uh, role and, and actually won the Golden Globe. She made her Broadway debut in 67 in a show called Black Comedy. She did Born Yesterday in London with Tom Stopper directing. Uh, listen, she made a bunch of movies and did a bunch of plays. Uh, she was a successful actor from a famous acting family. Here's the part where I list things. In 83, she played Cleopatra in a TV version of the story alongside future Bond Timothy Dalton as Mark Anthony. She did Chicago on stage as well as Twelfth Night, The King and I, uh, The Cherry Orchard, too. That's Chekhov, right? She did Three Sisters in London alongside her sister Vanessa. I think also check off, and the two of them also did a TV production of whatever happened to Baby Jane. Uh, movie highlights: she was in her, she was in everything you wanted to know about sex but were afraid to ask with Woody Allen, the Happy Hooker. Uh, she kind of took the eighties off and came back in ninety six with Shine with Jeffrey Rush, and in uh, ninety eight with Gods and Monsters, which is a great film with Ian McKellen and Brendan Fraser, for which she won her second Golden Globe. It's about James Whale, the director of the original Frankenstein, and it's freaking terrific. Uh, she was in the ill fated two thousand three adaptation of Peter Pan as well as the 2004 biopic Kinsey. She did some TV, mostly TV films, but she did do episodes of Armchair Theater, Kojak, The Love Boat, Fantasy Island, Murder, She Wrote, Hotel, The Nanny, Desperate Housewives, Law & Order, Criminal Intent. She was only married once to actor John Clark. They had three kids, but their marriage broke up after 33 years after Clark admitted he was having an affair with his assistant. The divorce was messy tabloid fodder, with Clark accusing Lynn of infidelity and kind. Lynn was diagnosed with breast cancer in December of 2002, had a mastectomy and chemo, and died eight years later at the age of 67. She is buried in St. Peter's Episcopal Cemetery in New York with her mother and her niece, Natasha Richardson, who died tragically young in a skiing accident in 2009. In 2013, the Lynn Redgrave Theater opened off-Broadway in New York City. Acting dynasty. Famous names. It's like the, you know, like the Barrymores, you know? I'm not cultured,
2: but I believe you.
1: Muppet Show episode number 323 with special guest star Lynn Redgrave produced. January thirtieth to February first first, nineteen seventy-nine, premiered in uh the spring of nineteen seventy-nine, directed by Peter Harris. The, even the cold open's kind of funny.
2: Yeah, I I had some concerns about that, because we all know that Scooter's a serial killer in training, but also cosplaying as Kermit for a moment. <laughs> no, he's he's Alan Adale. He's dressed up as Alan Adale. I didn't know that at first. I just assumed that he was like I was worried for a second that he was wearing Kermit, and I was like, this isn't that show.
1: No, it's not that show. He's not wearing Kermit. Yes, he's the closest we have to a Tom Ripley on the show, I do believe. Very talented. So uh, Lynn is in in rehearsing, and and so they reveal right off the bat that this entire episode is going to be an adaptation of or a retelling of the story of Robin Hood. What's notable is there is no outside music in this episode. All the songs were written for the show by the writers and music coordinators on the show. There's no outside, no cover songs or anything like that, which I think is the first time we've seen that for sure. Um, and they're going to tell the story of Robin Hood, and it's going to be the entire production. The entire episode is going to be the production. Scooter tells Lynn that everything's going great except for one scene they're having a little trouble with. And, of course, a, a giant... I mean, that's a big arrow, by the way, that hits her desk. Like, it's comedically large.
3: But there's just one scene that needs a little more work. Oh, which one? <laughs> Let me guess, the archery
1: contest. And then an archer comes in who's about as tall as the arrow, so I found that weird. That might have been part of the problem. And he said, "Did you see a pointy, a pointy thing go by?" Which I thought was very funny. But uh, yeah, we're gonna do Robin Hood tonight. Although the the openings, the opening credits are pretty much the same, uh, except and then when Gonzo gets to blow his horn, though three horns come in from from either side of him and play the a fanfare like in a medieval
2: fanfare and it scares the shit out of him i mean i don't think they told him that was going to happen but no he could have probably taken a page out of Beauregard's book because i'm pretty sure that we almost watched Beauregard die oh yeah during the opening credits when the arrow comes at his head yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. i missed that one they might have been aiming for him i don't think they've been able to get this right yet
0: thank you thank you thank you the Muppet Show in which we are going to spend the entire program doing a unique production of Robin Hood it's going to be very terrific because our special guest is one of the great ladies of the stage and screen miss Lynn Redgrave and so without further ado or a don't uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen the Muppet players with Lynn Redgrave proudly present Robin Hood.
1: Scooter is playing Alan Adale who's the who's, he's, a, he's a minstrel he's the bard right of the Robin Hood story he has some very good rhymes that he lays down.
3: <laughs> My name is Alan Dale. My hope is that we entertain with this our evening's tale. In Sherwood Forest, dark and deep, dwells Robin Hood in sooth. An outlaw and his merry men, they're living fast and looth.
1: So we're in the forest with Robin and his merry men, and uh, they are cavorting. It's a big word in this episode,
2: cavort. You ever cavorted? I, I don't. I've heard the word before, but I don't think I've ever e- heard it used in like uh, an active sense. It simply
1: means to jump and dance around excitedly. I looked it up because I wasn't 100% sure what it meant. Kind of like frolicking? But yeah, it's not quite frolicking, as we'll find out later. That's a, that's an advanced one. This is more of a gentle cavort. But yeah, they're just jumping around in the woods and slamming into each other. And um, It's a very motley crew. You got the Swedish chef is their, is their cook. New Zealand. Yeah, Lou is one of them. I
2: think we had a couple of whatnots.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of whatnots in this playing Robin's men. And um, yeah, so they're just cavorting out in the woods. And Fozzie has a very specific way that he cavorts. Fozzie's playing Little John.
0: Hey, 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 hold it. Oh, oh Pretty, Pretty. Hey, cooler there. Oh, what is it, Little John? What? You guys are not cavorting right. This is the proper way to cavort. Cavort, 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 You got that? Cavort, like that?
1: You got it? And he cavorts by waving his quarterstaff in front of his face and just saying the word cavort over and over again. He thinks everybody else is doing it wrong. But then uh, offstage, Floyd is watching it and Floyd does not. Floyd is not digging this at all. (laughs) This is way too square for Floyd. I mean, he's chronically hip. He tells uh, Scooter he doesn't like this Robin Hood jazz and the uh, great line where he says he prefers things more hip and less green. You know, and this tracks, right? Like Floyd didn't want to do
2: the jousting scene either. Floyd's just not into medieval cosplay. I mean, I don't know how old the restaurant chain is, but I wonder if Floyd just had a bad experience at a medieval times. Like Perhaps. he goes there for the show and he's tripping a little too much. Or just at a Ren fair. Have You ever been intoxicated at a Ren fair? I've no, I've never actually been to one. I've oh, never
1: been to Ren Fair. Yeah. They're fun in, in a way, <laughs> and they're in they're fun in a very specific Ren Fairy way. Okay, it's hard to explain the. It's hard to explain a Red Fair. Like I enjoy them, but I, uh, I don't know. It's hard to explain. <laughs> it's it's, it's a very bizarre feeling. I love in this episode how they're using this kind of fakey old English the whole time. Uh I thought that was really good. They're always adding THs to the end of words and forsooths and stuff. Back to the stage. And uh, Fozzie and the Merry Men are still cavorting when an arrow flies in with a message telling them that Robin Hood is on his way. And then Robin Hood steps into the scene, uh, being played, of course,
0: by. Hi-ho, Little John! Hi-ho, Robin Hood! Hi-ho, Merry Men! Hi-ho, Robin Hood! Well rehearsed, well rehearsed. Thank you very much. Hey, the fair maid we will be here soon and the place looks a mess. What have you been doing? Oh, well, you see, uh... Cavorting, right? Well, cavorting wrong actually.
1: <laughs> and Maid Marion is not being played by Miss Piggy. This will be a point of contention, but our special guest star, Lynn Redgrave, is playing Maid Marion. And uh, once they're all together in the scene, they play. They sing a song called Hey Down, uh, which is an original written for it, like I said, by Derek Scott and Chris Langham.
0: Hooray! Hooray! It's
3: such a lovely day,
1: It reminds me of a song that would have been in the Robin Hood movie with the sexy foxes.
2: I barely remember that movie. I get confused with the fox and the hound and it's significantly less sad than I thought it was after I was able to distinguish the two. Fox and the hound is sad.
1: Oh, and then, and then of course, during the song, there's a funny moment during the song where the... The sheriff of Nottingham's guards come in and capture Maid Marion, And they're all pigs, of course. And they capture Maid Marion and they take her out and the others don't notice. And there was a very, there was a moment in the great Santa Claus switch. I don't know if you remember this, where Fred, the elf, is singing a song about how you can count on him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And behind him, Santa Claus gets kidnapped. So it, was, it reminded me of that. It's like the same joke, same beats. It, it's hard.
2: This episode's hard because like. It's one single through line. So it's not yeah. a bit by bit thing. There are no numbers. I mean there are numbers it's just it's all integrated it's all just one
1: story um so uh we come backstage at piggy now piggy as, you, as you've noticed is not in the play
0: okay that lynn Redgrave is wonderful as made marian such a demanding role speaking of a, a demanding role uh, yeah. I, I do not have a role in this production and uh I am demanding one. <laughs> you, you see, there's only one female part that, that's made Marion and Lynn Redgrave is playing that. Oh, Kermit, you were not listening, dear. I said, I am
2: demanding one. Do you think Kermit's ever just given Piggy a night off? Like saying, yeah, you don't have to come in tomorrow. It's fine. We'll see you on Monday. I think she'd be there anyway. Yeah.
1: So Kermit's desperately trying to find a role <laughs> for Piggy to play in the in the show. A pig has demands because she has demanded it, and he comes up with.
0: Uh, I, I guess there is a part here you can play. I did a little rewriting, but I can do it. I can do it. Uh, I'm sure you'd be perfect for it. Yes, yes, yes. What is it? Uh, well, it's uh, <clears throat> it's uh, uh-huh. uh, sister Tuck.
1: <laughs> sister. Sister Tuck. <laughs> Now, I don't think this is an unreasonable idea, but Piggy sure does. I mean, she asked
2: for a role. She didn't ask for a specific role.
1: She loses her GD mind. It wasn't much there to begin with. I mean, she goes nuts trying to kill Kermit for this. Now, are we to interpret this as a joke about her weight? Because there is no, because I guess Friar Tuck is, I guess he's
2: traditionally rotund. I guess you could. I, that's not the first place my mind went. She just doesn't want to play a nun? I think she wants to play a, a more central part. She she will get her wish. After a fashion.
1: Because they do mention, the scene Kermit does mention in the scene, he's like, well, there's only one female part in the show, which is probably why jo- Floyd and Janice are out in the van smoking a joint. <laughs> so then we go to a scene kind of reminiscent of Ruth Buzzy. See that. When Ruth Buzzy was getting
2: getting uh, interrogated. So the thing is, I, I had two notes for this scene one this was perfectly cast and two it's really difficult not to kink shame gonzo <laughs> he enjoys this a little too much he does
1: it's okay but like <laughs> i i remember this scene from when I, I remember this scene from when i was
2: a kid it's a very memorable scene well they keep saying backstage
3: torture scene on next on stage for the torture scene <laughs> you want torture i'll give you torture
1: and
2: i'm like sitting there with my kids and i'm like uh torture's not good kids <laughs> We're just going to waterboard him a little bit. It's fine. Well, it it reminded me a lot of that scene from The Princess Bride where uh, I can't remember what the machine is called. Is it the excessive machine? No, that's Barbarella. What was it? (laughs) Same, same diff. Barbarella, Princess Bride. Barbarella, The Princess Bride. The exact same movie beat for beat. (laughs) This is a really fun scene. So uh,
1: this, the Sheriff of Nottingham, unsurprisingly played by the Grey Gonzo. Also in my, and I I knew that anyway, because in my book, he's also played by the Grey Gonzo. (laughs) He is going to he wants to find out where Robin and his merry men are hanging out. Now, I'd like to point out a flaw in this. His men just grabbed
2: her when when his men arrested her. She was right next to Robin Hood. To be fair, for any other Muppet on the show, aside from Link, that would be a problem. But it's Gonzo. I guess. And Gonzo doesn't necessarily want to do things the easy way. I think this is his way of asking for permission. Well, he's
1: like Grand Moff Tarkin. He's like, give me the tell me where the rebel base is. You know, it's like your men were just at the rebel base. I guess I'm thinking too logically, but you're right. It's, it's, Gonzo. it's Gonzo. So he, so he's going to torture her to get this information, but. My proxy. So first he has some thumb screws.
0: Take <laughs> the Screws, for instance. Oh, all right. Well, what do they do? Well, you put your thumb in here like this. Yes. That's it, and then you turn the little handle well, on top. This way? No, the other way. Oh, sorry. That's better. See so when you do that. It presses the bar down on the thumb.
1: Where she tricks him into putting his own thumb in the thumb screws to demonstrate how you use them, and he ends up torturing himself in order to try to get information out of her. And it doesn't work.
2: So I've got this theory as we were talking about the comparison to Julie Andrews earlier. I think she's like the mirror universe version. I think she might actually be the central villain of this piece. And I need you to hear me out. (laughs) Okay. Because Gonzo clearly doesn't know what he's doing. He kind of does. He probably enjoys it. But we're going to get to the the second half of this torture scene after we get back from backstage. There's all sorts of coded subtext. We don't have to go into it too much because you've already bleeped me out a couple of times over the last couple of episodes, and I don't want to stress you too much. I had two notes. As the torture scene continues and the sheriff is tied to the rack, first, this is a family show. Secondly, I was expecting to sing I thought so. Secondly, I was expecting to see a swing in the background somewhere. Luckily, we didn't. Third, aftercare is important. And this is why I think she's the Mm -hmm. villain, because she just straight leaves him there. Like... She does leave him on the rack. he's, He's tied to the table. They didn't establish a safe word. There's just, like... He's all strung out and he can't do anything about it. And she's like, cool, not my problem, which to be fair, she was kidnapped, but also I do not know what kind of games they're playing. It's Gonzo.
0: All right, now will you talk? No, I'll never tell you, never. (laughs) All right, another
1: turn. After the thumb screws don't work, he shows her the rack. And when we cut back, we cut off stage and then we cut back on stage and he's already ready to go in the rack.
0: Manacles
3: secured, hand and foot, right? Correct! There is no escape from this pain. This pain here? Oh. Oh. Yes! Isn't that terrific? Oh. Right. Oh. Oh. Come on! Talk. How much more of this can you take? Ah! Oh. 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 Oh.
1: They play it like he's in pain, but it's not like he's in bad pain.
2: I think he's in what Gonzo would call happy pain. Very funny sequence of Gonzo
1: torturing himself to get information out of someone else. And you can draw your own conclusions as to what it means. <laughs> Aftercare is important. So uh, the archery contest is up next that we alluded to at the very beginning. Great combination here of Scooter as Alan Adale telling us about the archery contest, but him, them bringing in Louis Kazager to, uh, to commentate on this this archery contest
3: the day of the archery contest there isn't one seat left to sell the crowd on the greens packed as tight as sardines which might also account for the smell both contestants look good to the experts yes the winner is tricky to choose but i'll stick my neck out and without any doubt say the other guy's certain to lose
1: this is a, another famous scene from the robin hood legend of course where uh, robin hood is in disguise and uh, because he's a wanted man and, and uh, he wants to win this archery contest, but he can't enter as himself, so he enters in disguise.
2: I also wanted to state for the record that looking at Kermit's disguise, his code name for the sketch is Malachi, and I believe that he has very strong feelings about technology in relation to community building. That's a very specific joke.
1: Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so Kazagar, uh, before the archery contest, he takes an arrow in the head, which I thought was nice. <laughs> just flat out takes an arrow in the head. I know it looks like it's got a suction cup on it, but still. And then uh, then they had the archery contest and Scooter narrates it.
3: So with Black Bart awarded a bullseye, there is little poor Robin can do. Save to trust to his luck, his nerve and his pluck. (laughs) And split Black Bart's arrow in
1: two. Uh, And then eventually, of course, Kermit splits the bad guy's arrow to win the archery contest.
2: I just want to draw a little bit of attention to the Muppet Newsman and how he probably didn't want to be there at
1: all. Oh, yeah. He's up there in the in the stands with like Gonzo and stuff. But uh, yeah, archery Contest, except Big scene in Robin Hood. We get our UK spot and you can kind of tell why, but it's also very funny. Sam, you know, Sam is always um, talking about culture, but he doesn't know nothing about it. He's a man of culture and taste. And uh, so he introduces the writer of tonight's program, of tonight's Robin Hood story, William Shakespeare. Uh, there's a couple things wrong with this, of course. William Shakespeare did not write Robin Hood. William Shakespeare is dead. Lots of lots of other things. Um, but in, in comes a shady looking dude in a suit who says he says he is a William Shakespeare.
0: It is my great pleasure to present the author of tonight's drama. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. <laughs> William Shakespeare. <laughs>
3: Delighted. You are the William Shakespeare? I am a William Shakespeare, yeah. (laughs) Mr. Shakespeare, what an honor.
1: This does have, to me, worth it at the very end, because he brings in the chef to read the speech from Hamlet.
0: (laughs) To (laughs) be, or not to be, I didn't understand all of it, but I'm certain the English people enjoyed it
1: which of course is the UK spot and only the Brits saw it when it aired. So then we get the scene that made my daughters hide under the blankets. All of a sudden, now they're both scared of romantic scenes in movies. Girl, that's a scary. Robin and Maid Marian sit in a lovely little forest setting and sing a song that I think is really funny uh, called I Still Love You about the fact that even though Lynn isn't a frog, Kermit still loves her.
0: Your eyes are not bulgy. You don't live in a swamp. You don't hop or turn somersaults. Your feet are not webbed. And you never eat flies. I'm sorry to dwell on your faults.
1: And then at the end, we almost get a kiss. We get very close to a kiss where my children burrowed into the couch to get away from. They just could not get away fast enough from what looked to be a kiss. When who shows up to stop the kiss? There's no way. The porcelain Inquisition? The poor no one, no one expects the porcelain Inquisition. God damn it. So Sister Tuck shows up just at the nick of time and you get to see Piggy in a, in a, in a nun habit. So she's taken on the role and she is there to stop this kissing nonsense. She's like uh, she's like Joan Rivers and spaceballs.
2: That was my virgin alarm.
3: It's programmed to go off before you do.
1: <laughs> and um, and she's shown up to break all this up. And then wh- and then she, like, knocks Kermit over and has made Marion kidnapped again by a gang of pigs. Because remember, no matter what, the pigs are always in Piggy's pocket. Oh, yeah. So even when they're, like, playing, like, the Gonzo's guards or whatever, they're still Piggies. They, they still answer to the pig. I don't know. I thought the song was kind of cute.
2: Yeah, that was fun. I liked it a lot. Who
1: cares if you're not even green, you know? I thought it was, it was cute. So backstage, <laughs> backstage, so Piggy has done something terrible. Well, it could be more terrible.
2: Uh, Miss Piggy is not one to balk at a problem so much as to work a given problem in the same way that some people might employ percussive maintenance to get a screen to stop flickering. I I don't think she does subtlety or ethics. Kermit's
1: wondering where Lynn is for her next scene because she disappeared. And Piggy's like, you know what? She's in her dressing room. I'll go get her. Liar. She will not. Um, Fozzie makes a terrible joke about the town crier. Terrible joke. Not even worth repeating. I don't even know if it's worth putting a clip in. It's so bad. (laughs) But then we get my favorite moment of the episode, actually, is the Muppet news flash
2: oh mine too but also geez
1: it's so funny the muppet newsman of course we're in this robin hood setting so the muppet newsman is cast as the town crier
0: five o'clock and all's well five o'clock and all's well except that maid marion has been kidnapped the sheriff's up to no good that dog is stealing the cheese kermit's mad at piggy and it's really only four thirty.
2: and then he gets hit in the head with a pot he can't get a break <laughs> I, I really hope they're covering is medical though
1: like there's and there's no setup for the pot he just gets hit in the head with a pot like now listen you're living back then you probably got hit in the head with a lot of pots
2: i feel like you got hit in the head with whatever was contained in the pot which is probably not better but still i just thought the rapid fire of this was really
1: funny it's a great bit and the, the 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 kermit's mad at piggy and it's only four thirty. <laughs> like it i thought that was really good um so now we have a scene again, like from Robin Hood Legend and, and definitely from the Disney movie where the Merry Men sneak in to rescue Maid Marian from the dungeons of the Sheriff of Nottingham. The guards, of course, played by pigs, uh, are get attacked by Robin Hood. He knocks out one with his quarterstaff. Then he duels the other one. And there's a nice little running gag about a quarter st- about.
0: Hold fast, good sir, lest I strike you again with my quarterstaff. That's a cheap weapon. Mine costs 50 cents. <laughs> cheap joke. You'll pay for that.
2: Cheap joke. I, I had a couple of notes on this one. One, "Hark a noise!" I don't know when I'm going to use that phrase, but it's <laughs> got to be used for maximum irritation, probably when someone wants me to be quiet, and it'll certainly be followed by "We must go hushedly.
0: Good men of Sherwood Forest, hmm. we must now sneak away and rescue Maid Marian. Snake and rescue. Rescue, good yes. men. <laughs> yes. go we must go hushily. Hushily. Oh,
1: no, I, again, I love the fake old English in this so much. Uh, but that the quarterstaff joke will come back later. Uh, but I was, I was, I was pleased that they called it a quarterstaff. The D&D nerd in me was happy. And then, uh, so they defeat the two pig guards and then they run into the next room. Oh, they, sorry, they go hushedly into the next room. They find, in the dark, they find who the, they, find Maid Marian and they turn on the lights. <laughs>
0: Where's Lynn Redgrave? Um, stage fright.
2: So, Chad. Mm hmm. We're about three seasons into this now, right? We're exactly three seasons into this. have been very patient with me as I've made all sorts of re- references and tangents to things that might not be related. But this one actually seems like something we would have arrived at a lot earlier. Is Piggy Nomi from Showgirls? Oh, we've talked about that. Have we? Okay, well, at least she's doubling down. Annie
1: Sue, though, is also kind of know me from Showgirls sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, it's quite possibly she's. In this episode, she's definitely know me from Showgirls in this episode, for sure. And she has taken Lynn's place, and they're like, what? And Kermit breaks characters like, Piggy, what the hell did you do with the guest star? <laughs> And she's finally like, uh, she's in her dressing room and she has stage fright. Kermit's like, come on, there's no, no fucking way she has stage fright. And then she's like, okay. She's a professional.
2: She's from a dynasty of actors.
1: Yeah, right. Exactly. And, uh, then Piggy's like, fine. And and her door's stuck a little bit. Kermit's like, her door's stuck. Let's go get her. And then we get the same scene again. Well, wait, wait, we're skipping something because. Oh, that's
2: Definitely playing a villain. And I had a, little, a few
1: concerns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, I would like to point out, this is not as bad as Alan Rickman in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. So uh, anyway, so um, but yes, you're right. There is one more thing is that the the sh- she calls for the cops and Gonzo runs in asking if a sheriff will do. And he hops in her lap with those little stubby legs of his. <laughs> he looks so small, even when she's scaring him. I mean, he's about to tell her what he wants for Christmas, I guess. That's what (laughs) exactly what it looks like that he's about to ask for something for Christmas. Since she's tied up, Gonzo gets to get a little kissy kissy in here. Yeah, but should he though? No, but he's playing a bad guy. Okay. So it's not because we know Gonzo's over piggy. Gonzo's all, Gonzo's poultry only. So like whether it be big bird or or chickens, but um, I don't know. I think he's playing a character. And I think the character's wrong.
2: That's our story, and we're sticking to it.
1: So then we get a scene where, except it's the exact same scene over again, where there's two pig guards outside of Lynn's door, now her dressing room door. Kermit as Robin Hood goes and fights them, and there's a, a matching quarterstaff joke. Although this guy paid a buck ninety five
2: for his sword.
0: Stand fast, good sir. Move not, lest I strike thee also with my quarterstaff. Ha! Mine cost a buck ninety five.
2: Froggy went a courton This is that uh, that roughneck side of Kermit. Of Kermit. What this reminds me of is actually in
1: uh, Muppet treasure Island. He has a sword fighting scene. Mm hmm. And this this kind of swashbuckling Kermit is one I really love. Again, like in this Robin Hood book, it's it's I highly recommend it, and uh, it's well written, and the illustrations are great. And yeah, it's got swashbuckling Kermit in it. Uh, so he so so they go in and they they rescue Lynn. She's in her dressing room. Piggy had barred the door somehow, and uh, they sing a reprise of Hey Down their number from the beginning. And then they get about halfway through it, and Lynn's like, "Everybody, shut up!"
0: So, come, Kermit, listen. Shouldn't we be doing this on the stage? On the stage, you're right. Quick, Merry Man to the
1: stage, to the stage. And, and so Kermit Kermit's great in this because he's always he's always yelling for everybody to go somewhere so he's like to the dressing room and then they're in the dressing room and she's like we should do this on stage she's like to the stage and like it's very frantic and uh, very funny and uh, they end up coming out on stage to finish out hey Down and uh, finish out the musical
0: we won and now our play is done
1: our fair mate has been freed from the fort
0: by my brave little prince of the war. out not do do, but resort to a old comfort. Down, down
1: down. Uh, Then they do an actual curtain call for some of the characters, which was kind of neat, um, to, to emphasize the fact that we were watching a play. Hell, look,
0: this has been a most unique theatrical experience. Oh, thank you. Uh, we can take that as a compliment. Um.
1: She doesn't answer. <laughs> well, she does answer. She answers with silence. <laughs> no answer is an answer. I love this episode. It's a great one. I really love this one. Like, like there's, you know, later we're going to see their, their version of Alice in Wonderland where they kind of do the same thing.
2: It does remind me of some of those early Muppet pilots specifically with them doing the Tinker D stuff. And like, I guess this is a way of them getting it right. No, it, it does feel like some of that
1: early stuff we watched Tinker D. Hey, Cinderella, uh, you know, uh, even frog Prince. It, it does feel like some of that stuff is kind of wrapped into this, um, or at least their experience making that stuff. Cause yeah, I saw parallels to Tinkerty. I saw parallels to the great Santa Claus, switch, and then obviously things like the frog prince, but uh, she doesn't make as much of an impression because she's just a character in the story. I think she does exactly what she's supposed to do. She does. She does, but she more than most guest stars, she kind of melts in hmm. and that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's what's needed for it, but she does kind of melt into the, I don't know. She doesn't stand out as much to me, except for, I guess the one song with her and Kermit, but everything else, she's just kind of like part of the show absolutely one of my favorites one of my favorites so we got a genuine angel in this next
2: episode huh i'll say it's a good way to close out the season cheryl lad born cheryl jean stopplemore in huron south dakota say that one more time stopplemore stopplemore wow Like right. macklemore but you know stop <laughs> rather than mac Born on July twelfth, nineteen fifty one, to Dolores, who was a waitress, and Marion, who was a railroad engineer. After she graduated high school, she traveled to the band called the Music Shop, and they played a bunch of shows throughout the Midwest before she settled in L.A. in nineteen seventy. Um, she originally came to Hollywood for music. Her, her first acting role was as the singing voice of Melody in Josie and the Pussycats. The I think that was the original run of the cartoon in the nineteen, like from nineteen seventy 1970 to nineteen seventy one. Huh. She would also be featured on their first album. After this, she started making guest appearances in a number of shows like The Rookies and Alexander's Woe and Ironside and something called Satan's School for Girls and The Partridge Family and Happy Days and a number of other things. In 1973, she married David Ladd, at which point she stopped being Cheryl Stopplemore and started being Cheryl Ladd. She stopped being Stoppelmore. Stopped being Stopplemore. You can't stop the Stopplemore she stopped a mord she kept the name after they divorced in 1980 they did have one child uh jordan ladd yep um she got her big break in 1977 when she replaced farrah fawcett on charlie's angels she would stay on the show until it gets canceled in 1981. During this time, she took advantage of her celebrity to guest star in a number of musical comedy variety series, including The Muppet Show. Um, she would also perform the national anthem at the Super Bowl in 1980. 1981, she would marry Brian Russell. Her post-Angels career, she was in more than 30 made-for-TV movies, as well as Purple Hearts in 1984, Millennium in 1989, poison ivy in 1992 and permanent midnight in 1998 i've seen exactly one of those movies i was too young to see it i'll let you guess which one
1: did it have drew barrymore
2: yeah uh she published a children's book called the adventures of little netty winship in 1996 and token chick a woman's guide to golfing with the guys in 2005 she's still working today she's also a celebrity ambassador for child help which is a child abuse prevention and treatment nonprofit. she's been in a lot of things
1: yeah yeah,
2: I, I didn't go into it. She was in the people versus OJ, uh, which I haven't seen yet, but I've been told that I need to Right. And her last album was released in 1982 called you make it beautiful.
1: So she kind of gave up on the music or she kind of walked away from the music thing.
2: I think she found that she was gaining more traction on screen. Um, I'm, I'm sure she kept singing. I just don't think she's going the, the main hustle anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, she sings in here.
2: The Muppet Show, episode 324, featuring guest star Cheryl Ladd, was produced in May of 1978. It would premiere on December 29th, 1978 in the UK, and a little bit earlier in the States on November 9th of the same year. It was directed by Philip Casson.
3: Cheryl Ladd? Cheryl Ladd? 20 seconds to curtain, Miss Ladd. Oh, thank you, Scooter. I-, I just can't seem to get my costume off. Off? Off? You're supposed to put it on.
2: I think she specifically said something about getting the costume off, which confused Scooter until he realized that. I think that's the Lunch Monster. Not Lunch Monster. Um, It
1: looks like the Lunch Counter Monster. I'm not sure if it is, but it looks like the Lunch Encounter Monster, like a version of him. That is her outfit from
2: from her first number. There's going to be a. That's we usually don't have that kind of continuity, but that is the outfit she wears in that first number. From there, we go to the theme. Uh, Gonzo's trumpet sounds like a phone ringing, which I think we've heard before. And I don't know when Blue Lagoon came out, but I'm pretty sure that's where Peggy and Link are for our first number.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: They perform a steamy jungle number, singing a song called True Love with the accompaniment of all of the creatures in the forest.
0: Suntime, wind blows at last, alone, feeling, far above all, oh, oh, how lucky we are, oh, I like it, <laughs> <laughs>
2: is a cole porter song from 1956 from the film high society with grace kelly and frank sinatra which i have not seen the first thing that that struck me about this though is is piggy having a wardrobe malfunction because that that loincloth is cut off a low my wife said the same thing (laughs) my
1: wife was trying to figure out how she wasn't hanging out of that top
2: It goes down to her ribs.
1: It kind of, it does. (laughs) I don't know if it's, if it's a malfunction. I don't know if it's supposed to be off the shoulder and it's just a bunch of men who don't know what they're doing. (laughs) I don't know what's going on, but yes, That's where they are, right? Yeah, that's fine. She should be falling out of it. Yes.
2: (laughs) Um, I also wanted to mention that we've seen the return of the John Cleese parrot. I also, when's the last time you saw the gator?
1: This has got also a Tarzan feel to it as Link is swinging through the forest, but man, when he took that face plant into the cliffside, all my kids, me, I, we just lost it. <laughs> my kids lost it. Just that face plant, just
2: bam, as Link was right into the cliff. I feel like Kermit planned that and didn't tell Link, he just trusted him to deliver. I like these piggy Link numbers. <laughs> I, I like them. I don't know why, but I do. It's a, it's a good opening number for sure.
1: Yeah, it's a very traditional Muppet opening number, and um, it's got a little bit of a Wayne and Wanda
2: vibe to it. Uh, they get through the full thing, though, even if Piggy does have to threaten all of the local wildlife. <laughs> she does. She does. Piggy's on fire, these two episodes,
1: by the way. Oh, yeah. She's she's at she's at peak pigginess tonight. <laughs> peak pig? She's at peak. She's reached pig, peak piggy tonight.
2: From, there we go, backstage, where we see the so return of bizarre. another... <laughs> <laughs> we've seen this character before And I just assumed that it was someone that didn't test well And we weren't going to see again But we've got the return of the bust of Beethoven
1: <laughs> Yeah And yeah. he
2: is just being a complete asshole To everyone But we also get to see Rolf and Kermit on stage At the same time again Rolf is getting ready to play a classical song Which just happens off screen And Beethoven says he's going to play A little too fortissimo Which I mean, I think that means too strong Too strong,
1: yeah
0: I'm ready. Don't worry. It'll be great. Mm-hmm. It won't be great. <laughs> good, yes, but he plays it to fortissimo.
2: Fozzie, meanwhile, is constantly trying to work on and improve himself, which is an admirable quality. It might hurt him in this case. He asks Kermit to help make a list of his good points and bad points to help him grow into a more mature and adult bear.
1: People always say they want this. They don't. You don't. You don't want it. I mean... You don't. I don't feel care like, what anybody says. Oh, it'll be productive or whatever. You don't want it. You don't want it. You don't want the list of the bad shit people think about you.
2: I feel like that occupies the same space as like, don't meet your heroes. You should absolutely meet your heroes and acknowledge that they're human and that they make mistakes. With that being said, you also should not ask any questions you don't want to hear the answers to. And don't read reviews. <laughs> yeah. Good or bad. Don't read reviews. Fozzie comes back and tells Kermit to be honest with the list, but also gentle, which is an interesting directive. To which Kermit says,
0: "How can you gently run over someone
1: with a truck?
2: It's brutal. It is also fair. <laughs> sometimes you receive contradictory instructions. I mean, remember when he wrote the episode? Come on. <laughs> From here, this is a great number, and we're we're going to see our guest star and Timmy Monster return, along with all of Grover's cousins, the Clodhoppers." Um, the Clodhoppers. Cheryl comes on to sing and dance to South Rampart Street Parade. You hear the
0: beat away oh, down the street. Do you hear
3: the neat little rhythm of a happy dancing feet? When I look there the people out running and bright, now they're gonna have- Everybody's coming in See the big parade
2: It's a song from 1937 Performed by the Bob Crosby Orchestra It's a big band era stuff Um, And my only real note for this section Is that she's really good She
1: is I only knew her as an actor I didn't know anything about her singing I didn't know she was Josie From Josie and the Pussycats Uh, She wasn't
2: Josie, she was Melody
1: I didn't know she was Melody From Josie and the Pussycats
2: But yeah, so she surprised me in this She sounded great She's, She's great She can dance too Like the I didn't I expected her to have Sort of like a Lynn Redgrave training thing, but it didn't... Maybe she was in some like high school theater or something like that. Yeah. But there wasn't any reference to her being able to dance like this. There was just like, hey, she's going to sort of backpack around the Midwest and perform shows and then come out to Hollywood and try to make it as a sting, as a singer or something like that. But she can dance, she can sing at the same time. She does really, really well with this.
0: They're doing it, it. They're trying it, I'm trying it. it, reviving it, I tell you, they're strutting it, rug cutting it, they're shaking it and breaking it down.
1: I'm still not comfortable with the Clodhoppers. Because they're Grover's lobotomized cousins?
2: They're they're still creepy.
1: Right. That's the only thing that mars this number for me is the Clodhoppers.
2: They're easily not the creepiest muppets we've seen in the last three episodes, but I understand. I find the Clodhoppers distracting. Because they look like they've been lobotomized.
1: Just the way they gyrate and the way they move. That's and true. the fact that, yeah, they look like a bunch of just like mutated Grovers.
2: We go backstage again, and Kermit agrees. Cheryl is terrific. And the bust of Beethoven agrees. No one can really deny that. But he also points out the fact the trumpet player kept going flat, which means the bust of Beethoven has a lot in common with my middle school self, because he can never just like let someone enjoy something. <laughs> That's like my 25-year-old self, too. <laughs> I think I had grown out of it mostly by the time I was 17 with like a couple of weird slip ups, but middle school was when it was the worst.
1: I You can still trigger me, man. Tell me that you like
2: Pacific Rim and just watch how I go. I've never seen it. Fozzie comes back and does that thing that he probably shouldn't have done on top of the other thing that he probably shouldn't have done. He decides to look at the list that Kermit hasn't finished yet.
0: Oh, Kermit, not this. Well, uh, 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 Fozzie, oh. I think I better explain. No, no, you no, see, okay. oh, no. Come in. It's okay. It's okay. I can understand how you might think that I have these bad points. Oh, uh, well, I- actually, that list is your good points. <laughs> I-, I think I better go get a cup of coffee
2: part of me wants to feel bad for Fozzie here, but the other part of me is like, mm, you shouldn't ask that question. Frank is doing amazing here because we just see him reacting to things without ever actually listing out what any of the points are. Yeah. And just... That's real funny. Like, there's there's a weird sort of, like, bargaining stage of grief thing going on here. Fozzie is just shocked that there are so many awful points that Kermit put, put down, at which point Kermit explains that these are the good points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And... Kermit's like, I'm going to go take a coffee break. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like, I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. <laughs> he, he's in for a long night. I just
1: dropped a pile of shit in your lap. I'm going to go get a cup of coffee.
2: <laughs> there's that, but there's also, you have to acknowledge that every time Fozzie at, like directly asks Kermit to help him with something, Kermit's like, yeah, I'll do it. I don't want to. You probably don't want me to, but I'm here. I'd also like to
1: point out, I thought this was very funny, where Kermit asked the bust to Beethoven, wasn't Beethoven deaf, and he goes, I'm going bus to bust Beethoven. It's my job. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I got, I got, it, I got to make a living. I'm a bust of Beethoven.
2: <laughs> this is how I keep the lights on.
1: It is really just funny. It's like, yeah, I'm just a bust of Beethoven. That's how I make my living. <laughs> <Like a laughs> almost blue collar, it's a living. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's very Flintstones um and Fozzie gives him a little growl at the end too which i like little little bear growl which you don't see you don't see a lot of uh,
2: aggression from Fozzie. From, from there we go to pigs in space which is probably the inspiration for i don't know how many dare messages that i got in elementary school but <laughs> dr julius strange pork invents a pill that makes pigs invisible why dr strange pork wants to be invisible i don't know I'm not going to ask. Best left up to your imagination.
1: Actually, it's probably worse left up to your imagination.
2: Yeah, I've got a a pretty twisted world perspective. He and Link take the pills and they go invisible. At which point, predictably, Miss Piggy comes in and... First mate Piggy, thank you. Oh, I'm sorry. But first mate Piggy comes in and doesn't know where everyone is. And I think she's like perpetually... Miss Piggy is the Starscream to Link's Megatron. <laughs> Thank you. I was about to say Optimus Prime and I knew that was wrong. Was like, that's he's the other one with his name. Yeah. Yeah. She sits on, she sits
1: on Link's uh, she sits, on Link. <laughs> sits on Link while he's in the chair. They've like hit
2: him or hit her in the head with a microphone and stuff. And then they become visible again, at which point Miss Piggy realizes what they did. And the note that I put down was just don't take strange pills. I don't understand that inclination to just be like, "Oh, there are pills in a bucket. These guys just took pills. I should take the pills." This is like high school 101. She's been hanging out with beaker too long. That that might beaker beaker needs all the help beaker can get.
1: Yeah. So Piggy goes invisible and I I love when Piggy goes invisible cuz Link goes, "What do you think she's going to do?" And you're like, "What the hell do you think she's going to What else would she do?" Link.
0: Huh? Hi-ya! <laughs> <laughs>
1: She's going to give you the Tyler Durden. That's
2: what she's going to do. Yeah. Who knows what hurt lurks in the heart of evil pigs?
1: Who is a pig, <laughs> she, he knows. Just, she just kicks the crap out of him, but it looks like that scene in Fight Club where he's beating himself up in the parking
2: lot. Then we get to our UK spot, which... Is not on Disney+. Plus. It's okay that it's not on Disney+. Plus. It's also okay that it's the UK spot. Yeah. yeah. It's a very repetitive song. It's Scooter sings a song called There's a New Sound, which was written by Tony Burlo and Tom Murray. Apparently, this was done once on Salmon Friends, and Jim described it as a terrible song, which makes me wonder why they would do it again. But it made me think of two things. First, for the second time in two episodes, we were down at Fraggle Rock. And secondly. <laughs> yeah. There was a Goosebumps book which had killer earthworms. I can't remember much else about it besides the fact there was like a pail of them at some point. Scooter's about to die, probably, but because of the earthworms is is my estimation.
1: Yeah, I remember to watch this one. I remember to go into my DVD and watch this one tonight, and uh, I barely remember it. I, kinda, I can kind of hear the tune in my head. I can kind of hear the tune in my head, and by that I mean the
2: one note over and over again. Yeah. It's not bad. It's just not good well, that's a good that's a good way to put it that's probably also eclipsed by the fact that the next part is going to be so much fun oh my god yes so we go to guest star's dressing room at which point i didn't write the bio or read up on cheryl before watching the episode but i was like oh she's probably a charlie's angel because that's exactly what they're pulling on but miss piggy and cheryl well piggy goes in to say hi to, to cheryl um, and Cheryl admits that she admires Miss Piggy and Miss Piggy assumes, well, is it for my looks or for my talent? And she's like, honestly, I kind of like the way you hurt people. That's a paraphrasing, but still effectively what she said.
1: <laughs> well, there's a little bit of a pork chop double entendre there. Yeah. And then it leads into, yeah, I like how you, I like how you mess people up.
0: <laughs> really super. I've seen you in action. Well, I've seen you deck a few baddies yourself.
3: <laughs> After all,
2: protect ourselves. We are just helpless girls. Mm
0: -hmm. Ready? Ready. I'm a girl and by me that's only great. I am proud that my silhouette is curvy. I walk with a sweet and girlish gait, with my hips kinda swivelly and swervy.
2: The song they sing is called I Enjoy Being a Girl, which is from the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical flower drum song. I'm also pretty sure this is the 1970s version of I'm a Barbie Girl by Aqua. Or I'm Just a Girl by No Doubt. One of those two things is significantly more empowering than the other, but yeah. That's okay, it's true. The, the part where this started to get kind of painful was Miss Piggy calls Kermit in because Cheryl's got a practice dummy and... That's so good. I've got a dummy too. Kermit wasn't du- usually. You can see Kermit like doing something to Trigger Piggy, but he was literally just walking by the room, and she's like, "Hey, I need your help with something." And Kermit, it's like, "Okay, I can go help." He has proven to be durable and
1: pliant. Yeah, but she. I mean, she knows he's with all the abuse she has given him. She knows he'll be okay. I just <laughs> I, don't I don't know. It's terrible. Just... It's absolutely terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Cheryl pulls you out like a dummy. You're wrong. Cheryl pulls out a dummy to beat the crap out of it. Piggy's like, I got a dummy. Kermit, get in here. <laughs> and he's like, just
2: wanders in like a moron. There's, yeah, there's also like both of them have purple belts, which is not the highest rank, which is just a, a small thing. But I think it was just a color coordination thing with the dummy. And Cheryl's yeah. actually barefoot. And I don't know how much you want to be barefoot in the Muppet dressing room, but points for bravery. I mean, Spike Milligan was in there. You yeah, definitely don't want to be barefoot. Job. <laughs> um... <laughs> I, this is just a fun bit. Like it's, it's amazing. you are talking around it a bunch, but just watching it and the chemistry between Cheryl and Miss Piggy is on point. It's a great sketch.
1: Yes, if these were people, this would be totally out of line. But, but it's not just they don't just beat up Kermit, though. They throw Kermit, they throw the dummy, and then they trash their, their whole room like they're Johnny Depp.
2: They throw a pie in his
1: face. And then they throw a pie in his face, it's a lemon meringue pie in his face. Yeah, it's true. They do hit him with a lemon
2: meringue pie. He's not poor Kermit. I'm a little worried about Gonzo for these last two episodes, and I know that he was playing a bit in the first one, and that's our story, and we're sticking to it. Would we ever actually know if Gonzo is having a nervous breakdown?
1: <laughs> Gonzo is a nervous breakdown.
2: Fair point. Backstage, Kermit tells Gonzo to stand by for his hypnotism act, and in something out of a 90s horror video game, we have a bunch of chickens standing around with bug eyes. With real big wide eyes, yeah. And Kermit's... A little disturbed by this, so he tells them to shoo. And Kermit rushes on to let, or sorry, Gonzo rushes on to tell Kermit that the that the chickens are hypnotized and under his power. This raises questions. I'm not going to ask. Basically, Gonzo's got this set up so that the chickens will do impressions of other animals. Kermit thinks this is a terrible idea, and he refuses to introduce Gonzo. At which point, Gonzo decides that he is going to appeal to Kermit's sense of logic or his survival instinct or his survival instinct by sticking a bunch of chickens on him. Chicken dogs. Yeah.
1: They're still dogs. Cause they're still like, they're like barking at him trying to get them on stage.
2: I mean, it's less terrifying than being chased by geese, but only by so much. There are a few things more terrifying than being chased by geese. It's true. Gonzo, uh, never wanted to say die goes on stage. He can't get any volunteers, so he hypnotizes himself into holding up a 5000 pound weight with one arm because mind over matter.
1: Nobody know. He comes out and he's like anybody I can hypnotize you to carry this 5000 pound weight. Any takers? And everyone's like what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, it's Any a weird takers? thing to volunteer for. Yeah,
2: stellar water for like
1: we're good. We're
2: good. I mean after the motorcycle incident. Um but Gonzo actually succeeds. He does for a second, yeah. Um, and then he breaks hypnosis, and suddenly he is normal Gonzo again. Which you know, this episode he has been compacted as opposed to stretched out. So we know that Gonzo has range, even with stubby, stubby legs. I'd like to point this out. Gonzo is amazing. He is, he is. great. Like he just doesn't.
1: He was holding five thousand pounds over his head. He has balanced a piano on his finger on it on his like nose. Right, while reciting thing, he just can't do it for more than a few seconds. But you do it for more than a few seconds. You do it at all. I'm saying the dude's incredible.
2: I think Gonzo's like a some sort of a an old god or a cryptid of some sort that has to play by specific rules. He can do a lot of amazing things, but he has to do them like Gonzo would. But we we get to our closing number where Cheryl and the Muppets sing a song called "Sunshine on My Shoulders." It's uh, from 1971. It was a big John Denver hit. We'll be seeing him a little bit later on. The
1: next episode, actually.
2: <laughs> uh, it was written by Denver, Richard Kniss, I hope I pronounce that right, and Michael Taylor. And this is this is exactly what it needs to be. It could have tipped its way over into being something too maudlin. We see a lot of the uh, the woodland critters as well. Have we seen Beauregard sing before? I think he's been part of the chorus before Yeah, My wife hates this song Is is there like a personal association with it?
1: No, it's Well, yes, in the sense of This is another, you know, you said her dad was a dentist And this is A hundred million trillion percent A dentist office song It's kind of like hatred of Wonderwall It's just like, it just triggers her She's like, I hate this song It takes her back to the orthodontist and all that stuff you know that that late 70s uh country the pop country adult contemporary thing so she was not pleased by this choice (laughs) uh i really liked it though i actually like this song it's a nice song I thought it was really nice how it slowly introduced the Muppets into it. Mm-hmm. It, it, it ended up being very like sweet without being, a, I think it didn't hit saccharine. I would agree with that. Yeah. it, it struck that
2: balance pretty well, but it was
1: still very sweet and warm. Um, and it was just kind of, it, it was after, you know, I don't know, I guess I'll take any bit I can get, but <laughs> it just, it just felt comforting. And, um, and I thought very, very touching uh, her kind of how she establishes these little relationships with them as they kind of enter into the song. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought was really sweet, you know, and you, at one point you've got like Fozzie's head on her shoulder and scooters like got his hand on Fozzie's shoulder and stuff. And they're all kind of almost kind of cuddling up together for comfort, you know?
2: And um, I found that to be very sweet. Yeah. So we close out the episode and Cheryl says that she wants to thank Kermit and the Muppets starting from the top. And she's, Doing that thing that certain people do where they'll just want to talk. And Kermit tried to do this the String Them Up movie where they want to thank everyone involved. And then Gonzo complains that that would make him last because, you know, poor Gonzo.
1: Because he's about six inches tall right now. He was short to start with. Yeah, he's a lot shorter. <laughs> he ends the season this way. Luckily for him, there's no continuity. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's got a very good physical therapist. We had a couple of rough patches this season, specifically, you know, that one. Sometimes episodes get spiky. But this was a good way to go out. Mm -hmm. These two episodes were really great. Next time. Top five, top fives. So that's the Muppet Show season three. Wow. So uh, we're not done yet. We will be back uh, next time. And we are going to be doing what we did last season. We're going to be doing our, our, our end of season review. Our top five, top fives. Our favorite songs, sketches, characters, guests, things like that, please check us out on social media at Lunatic Daring on all the usual places. And uh, please, while you're at it, you know, maybe leave a review on uh, your podcast platform of choice. We would really appreciate it. Um, But uh, until next time, my name is Chad. My name is Nick. And thank you for listening. Feet of Lunatic Daring is written and produced by Chad J. Schonk and hosted by Chad J. Schonk and Nicholas Jackson. Music by Seth Podowitz. And a proud production of
0: Antithesis
2: Audio.
1: Let's go while the going's good. Well,
0: I'm glad something's good tonight. (laughs)